Welcome to Mission Unplugged, genuine conversations about Christian faith in action with young innovators locally, nationally, and globally. I'm Elise. I'm Jesse. And I'm Mitch. G'day everyone and welcome to week two of September 2020, the second week of Safe Water September. We have another great bonus episode for you today featuring Suzanne Hayes, another member of the GMP COCO team responsible for getting your Safe Water September donations to the places and communities where they can do the most good. In this chat with Elise, Suzanne takes us through the situation in our partner communities in Vanuatu, where a portion of the funds raised by Safe Water September are directed. Suzanne and Elise focus on communities that are developing safe water projects, but GMP also has partners on the other islands, so communities mentioned in this episode are not the only ones GMP is connected to. Suzanne takes us through the processes of developing safe water projects in a place vastly different than Zimbabwe, with its own set of unique challenges for communities. Before we jump into the interview, a quick Safe Water September update. We have raised, at the time of recording, over $55,000 together for Safe Water Projects, which is an incredible amount of money, which will have a real impact on hundreds of lives. If you're taking the Safe Water September Challenge, shout out to you, you are doing an amazing job. And I hope the withdrawal headaches are getting better. And if you've donated, thank you too. Your generosity this year has been incredible. If you want to find out more about Safe Water September, head to safewaterseptember.org.au. Let's jump straight into this special bonus interview with Suzanne Hayes. When we think of Vanuatu, we think of islands surrounded by water and we think, oh, they don't have any issues with water. But most of the islands do because, yes, they're surrounded by water, but it's seawater. So it is a big issue for them. And that's why in most places you'll see lots of tanks for them tanks are very important in order to have clean water and that is easily accessible. They don't have to walk kilometres and kilometres to get it. Suzanne, can you just quickly tell me a little bit, first, what's your role with COCO and what do you actually, what does it look like? What do you do day to day? Thank you for that, Elise. My role with COCO is I'm the program officer. So my main role is supporting our partners with the implementation of their projects. So I work with our partners to help them with the designing of the projects and then sending the money across to them and any questions they've got with the implementation. And of course, they need to report back to me on the progress. So I get the chance to review that and ask any questions or ask for some further clarification. So that's my main role within COCO. Yeah, great. And you particularly work with our partners in the Pacific and South Asia? That's right. So I'm working predominantly with our partner in Vanuatu and then in recently in Bangladesh and also in India. Yeah, great. So great segue because um, that's why we have you here today to talk about our partnership in Vanuatu. So you've been involved um, particularly in um, the community development, including the water projects, which um, are funded by Safe Water September in Vanuatu. So um, can you give us a bit of a 
a bit of context about our partners in Vanuatu. What what are the communities like that we're working with there? So we work with the conference, the Church of Christ conference in Vanuatu, and they're based on Santo. We work with them. We work th- through their um, communities, which are basically on the islands of Pentecost, Umbai, Maywo, and Santo. So the communities there are, are very small communities. If you sort of think of a, of a little village made up of family units, so usually you'd have the, the grandfather and his sons and their sons all living in in this one area. So it's still very much a community focus. Yeah, that's great. And so um, what's the kind of environment like there for people who might not have been before? So in these communities, they are what we consider rural. So if you walk into a community, there'll be clumps of houses. Some of them will be out of natural um, materials. So there'll be bamboo, thatched roofs. Others you walk into and they'll have a mixture with some houses made out of concrete. Um, still very much on the agrarian. So the villagers will have their gardens, which are usually quite a far a distance from com- their community, so it's a long walk. But around the houses, they'll have chickens and pigs and cattle, so very much agricultural and rural. Yeah, great. So we're talking specifically about our water projects today. What are some of the complications of water in Vanuatu for these communities? When we think of Vanuatu, we think of islands surrounded by water and we think, oh, they don't have any issues with water. But most of the islands do because, yes, they're surrounded by water, but it's seawater and that's not good for drinking and um, cooking, using for cooking. A lot of these islands actually don't have a lot of fresh water. Pentecost is the main one that has quite a lot of rivers flowing down, but the other islands um, have very little in the way of fresh water. So they rely on water from rain or if they're lucky and can um, source groundwater. So it is a big issue for them and that's why in most places you'll see lots of tanks and that will vary from in-ground concrete tanks to the the new poly tanks but for them tanks are very important in order to have clean water and that it's easily accessible they don't have to walk kilometers and kilometers to get it yeah so um going a bit deeper why water tanks in Vanuatu why does this work and why is it a good solution for these communities the reason they want the water tanks is because As I said, in most of the islands, they don't have easy access to fresh water, so they need a place to be able to store the water so it's easy for them to get. So particularly when you've got buildings that have got a roof to collect the rainwater that then flows into the tanks. Some of the villages are fortunate that they have found a water source, but it's usually far up in the hills, so they want the water tanks that they can store the water and then bring it down to perhaps to smaller water tanks that are much closer, so they could be in the middle of the communities, um, and that allows the people to access the water. Now, one thing I've also started to understand is in a community, 
there are people that might have their own private water tanks, but the community still wants their community water tanks to allow those people who can't afford or able to have a water tank, um, who are vulnerable, that they can access clean water through the community water tank. So that's very important for the community. So it's a, a combination of not only being able to catch rainwater, but also to have the, the water close and accessible? Yes. So can you talk us through it in some, as much detail as you like? Um, what does it look like implementing, um, say, a water tank project in a community in Vanuatu? For COCO, it's not just a matter of, of community saying we want a water tank. It's discussing um, what their real need is. So when they say about a water tank, we would then look at, well, where's that water tank going to be positioned in the community? Because it has to be accessible to, to people. And when we say people, we're thinking of those with disability and also in a safe way so that um, people aren't frightened about going to collect the water from that place. Um, the other thing I forgot to mention, the other bit um, of why a, a rainwater tank is the water will be cleaner and people will be less likely to get sick from it. So we work with the community and that will be usually through their leadership structure. Um, as I mentioned, the communities are quite small, so they will have a village uh, leadership committee. So we work through them and making certain that we do hear the voices of the, the various groups, the, the women, the youth, people with disability. Once we have that design worked out, um, it's then approved and we work with the conference's community development officer and she will work closely with the community in working out, when we say a water tank, um, how many litres, what else is needed in terms of pipes and guttering and she will then help with the, the ordering of that. That's another challenge in Vanuatu is because we're dealing on islands all the materials will have to be sent from either Santo or Port Vila and that's sent on a boat. So again, that takes time to buy the items, get it to the boat and then the boat um, to get it to where it needs to be and that can actually take many weeks. So once the, the materials are delivered, um, the community will work together to install the water tank and our, uh, the community development officer keeps in contact to check on progress and they report back to me as well to let me know how things are going. Yeah, great. And um, when a project like this is implemented, how do you go about ensuring that it's meeting the objectives that you set out to achieve in that beginning when you're talking to the community initially? So once we have got those agreed objectives, that's something that um, as things are progressed, the community development officer will be reporting back to me in a, in a set format because we need to be aware of not just how the project is, is progressing, but how is it throwing up any unintended impacts, um, particularly on um, the vulnerable groups 
Um, so that's why progress reporting is really it's essential, not just to check on progress, but to see if there's any other issues that are coming up that we need to to resolve. And how often would you hear um, receive project reports and be in touch with partner communities? Just on average, I'm sure it's different depending on capacity, yes. like internet capacity and things like that, particularly at the minute. <laughs> I try and chat to the community um, development office about once a month. Um, we've introduced to uh, using Zoom now, which is really handy, but then she will submit a formal report every three months. Yeah, great. So that's quite quite um, constant contact. It is. It is. And often um, the more constant, the more information you get um, because they'll remember things that have happened. Um, whereas if you leave it too long, um, you, you tend to forget what has happened. Um, and so you touched on it briefly um, when we were talking through the project, but um, there are quite a few challenging aspects to implementing these projects. Can you um, tell us a little bit more about some of those challenges? Like what are the big challenges when you're um, implementing water tank projects in Vanuatu? The main, well, the big challenge is about the logistics. Um, so things that are, are done remote, communications isn't always easy. So you'll find that the project will do a list of equipment they need and then that gets given to the community development officer, she'll go in and get quotes and decide which is the best place to get the items. Then you sort of think, well, you've given them a list, the supplier a list, but they don't always have the items and they might substitute and they don't tell you. So everything gets laid on the boat. It may not have been properly checked. It gets across and you don't have everything that you need. And then it takes a few more weeks to to get the right things. The other is that the communities do contribute to the project and most of the time it's in the form of labour. And I, I, it's finding that there'll be some times when the, the labour's not available because they're out in the gardens or they're doing something else. So whilst you might have agreed that the project would take six months, it can take longer because to them six months doesn't mean the same um they're yeah they're balancing balancing it with other things and not not as um maybe not looking at the time frame the same way you are from a um your role yeah <laughs> over here in australia yes yes time means something different um so working in these projects what are some of the um biggest changes you've seen in communities that have had water tanks implemented biggest change is that the the people have don't need to walk so far to get water and it's not as dangerous so the comments we're getting is that they've got more time and that's not just more time to just to, to sit sit around under the palm tree but it gives them more time to to be out in the garden or looking after the children um they're not getting, there's probably antidotal evidence is that not getting a sick because they're accessing clean water. So they're probably the two things is that it reduces time spent on fetching water and that they're, they're healthier because 
they've got access to the, the clean water or um, they don't have to, to risk themselves by trying to access water in um, rivers and and the dangers that can bring. Yeah, you mentioned it before that the, um, often the rainwater, the rainwater tank, water coming from the rainwater collection is a lot cleaner than rivers but also yeah thinking about the process of turning on a, a tap attached to a tank and having to take your bucket down to the river um yeah you can definitely see the safety in both both aspects of that because you sort of think oh well the, the river you just go to the side of the river but often they have to negotiate big boulders um to, to get to the water so there's there's that safety issue as well and a lot of times it's the children and women that do that and they that can put them in a vulnerable position as well yeah definitely and i remember just a bit off topic but um when walking through Vanuatu when I, I i visited with you to see some of the community consultations and it had just rained and we could barely walk up the hills it was so muddy let alone if i was going down to a little river with a bucket of water um, could barely stay on my feet just walking down the road. Mm. And that was one of the comments in Ran was where we were, that by having access to the, the tanks was a, um, made life a lot easier than having to go and negotiate to uh, down to the river. So um, just changing tack a little bit, um, when we um, started fundraising for these water projects through Safe Water September, we spoke a lot about um, communities on Umbai and the effects of the volcanic eruption that happened there a, few, a couple of years ago now. Um, but um, at the time for last year, we were talking about these communities because a lot of them had to leave Umbai when the island was evacuated and make up temporary second homes on Santo or Maiwo, but we're mainly partnering with Santo. So can you um, explain a little bit about what the situation is for these um, Umbayan communities now? Hmm. Fortunately, the, the volcano seems to have gone back to sleep. So a, a lot of the communities have moved back to Umbai, but is, uh, water is still an issue because Umbai doesn't have a lot of fresh water and a lot of their tanks were um, contaminated by the ash. So there's been considerable effort in trying to clean them out and putting um, and finding fresh water. Now, um, some of the communities have built second homes, mainly in Santo, and there we've been able to provide them with rainwater tanks because, again, they, they haven't they've got very limited access to, to water, even more so. And that probably leads on to the current situation at the moment with the impact of Cyclone Harold, um, because the communities on Santo were badly hit by the, the cyclone. And that's had, um, that's devastated a lot of their buildings, which has impacted again on the access of clean water. Yeah, um, and just um, can you just take us through a little bit about Cyclone Harold if there are people listening who who aren't really sure. But Cyclone Harold hit earlier this year and caused quite a lot of damage to partners in Santo and um, Pentecost as well, yes? Yes. So um, 
Cyclone Harold was about a Category 5 cyclone that hit in early April. Went straight across the bottom of Santo and just um, destroyed everything in its path. So um, a lot of the, the houses that were made of, of natural vegetation, they were destroyed um, and many trees and that came down. The cyclone continued across and hit uh, South Pentecost. So um, in particular, there was two communities that we'd been working with and they suffered major destruction. Uh, so, and this has had an impact on um, what well, buildings and their gardens, but what's also contributed is the fact of with the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, Vanuatu very quickly closed its borders, which has protected it from the virus, but has had another impact on the um, economic situation in Vanuatu. And with the um, Cyclone Harold hitting, it's been very difficult for them to rebuild and uh, which includes um, buying, getting new water tanks and putting those into a place so that people can have access to fresh and clean water. Yeah, so what have um, some of those challenges been regarding, because Vanuatu um, very thankfully is still COVID-free um, as, as we're recording and we pray it will con continue that way. Um, but but how, is, how is the kind of ongoing and... Um, like broader effects of COVID um, change the way um, things are able to happen in affected communities there? Well, as mentioned, the, the Vanuatu government very early on, so it was about the end of March, beginning of April, it closed its borders and also introduced restrictions. So people were not allowed to travel from island to island and they're encouraged to practice social distancing. Since then, they've eased the internal restrictions uh, so people can again travel. But during that time, it, um, it meant that responding to TC Herald was greatly delayed. All the aid supplies that were sent in had to go through Port Vila. They had to be sanitised. No external personnel were allowed in, which just made... Um, prolonged the the ability to to get to the um, communities that that needed it. For Vanuatu, it relies a lot on tourism for income generation, and that is basically stopped. So communities that relied on money from jobs um, in the tourism hospitality business, um, they they don't have it. So the communities are probably just going back to very basic lifestyles. Um, and there's an economic impact. But as we know in Australia, there's also a, a social impact on, on people, so on mental health and on levels of um, abuse and those sorts of things. We're hearing that those pre prevalence is increased. Yeah. So, um, coming back 
to our water project, what are some of the, and our partners specifically, not just water, but these communities, what are the greatest needs in our partner communities at the moment? Probably if you go into the communities, they would still be saying water, water tanks. They can never get enough water tanks. There's lots of little communities and whenever we put, they'll often ask for a building as well, but their idea is that you have a building with a roof that you can fit a gutter on so that you can put a water tank in. So that would still be what they would say their greatest need was. Yeah, because a kind of thatched palm roof doesn't doesn't collect water very well. Um, and so how are you um, and the COCO team continuing to work with our partners to address these needs now? We keep in contact with the, the staff in the, the conference and we've got ongoing projects that are working with the communities. So we will keep doing what we've always done. Unfortunately, it's harder to go and visit, but we'll be uh, using Zoom a lot more um, to keep in contact and the use of photos and videos, those sorts of things to help us uh, have an understanding of what's going on will also be used. And are there any next steps for the water projects there? What's the next part of this we're still working with communities and, as I said, whatever activity we want to do, we're always asked for a water tank. So that will continue. Water projects will be continuing. <laughs> yes, yes. So even for the recovery with TC Harold, there's always requests for water tanks. The Umbai communities, they always need water tanks, so... We'll continue it's helping, helping put in water tanks. Tanks, <laughs> yeah. that's right. Um, so just a final question. Um, for people who are taking the Safe Water September Challenge who are involved um, in Australia um, or who are going, uh, giving to it or taking it themselves, um, how can they be thinking and praying and supporting our partners in Vanuatu? Well, first off, I'd like to thank those people for doing the challenge. Um, that's very much appreciated. And certainly if people are able to donate, uh, that, that those funds are going towards um, water tanks, which it's not just providing a water tank, it's providing for the local community particularly those that are vulnerable because they can't have their own water tank, that they can access clean water but really accessible water. That So people can, th can think about that and just keep praying for the people um, that Vanuatu does tend to have a lot of natural disasters. I think they're ranked number one country in the world. So whilst you sort of think, well, we've already provided water tanks in these communities, because of the disasters, and we've just seen this with the TC Herald, um, things need to be rebuilt and repaired because of this. So not only do we want to get all to communities, but often we have to go back to communities to, to put in water tanks because they've been lost due to natural disasters. Yeah, that's really great. Um Cool. Well, thank you very much um, for joining me. That's been really great. I really appreciate um, 
you coming and giving us a bit of a closer insight into the project in Vanuatu and, um, yeah, um, helping people understand, you know, when, when we do fundraise for Safe Water September, what exactly that means um, on the ground with our partner communities. Um, doesn't just go onto that tally on the website, but um, what it looks like when it's when it's actually moving into action. So thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Thanks heaps to Suzanne for joining us on this bonus episode of Mission Unplugged. If you want to find out more about COCO and our partners in Vanuatu, head to our website at gmp.org.au. If you want to support Safe Water September, the website is safewatersepember.org.au. Next week, we have our regular monthly episode with April Holmes, someone who knows a lot about Safe Water September because she used to work for Embody. And the week after that, we'll have another special bonus conversation with our very own Jesse Skelly, talking about his experiences of visiting Zimbabwe with the crew from GMP. These episodes will show up in your podcast feed over the next two weeks. Thanks for listening to Mission Unplugged, a podcast by Embody. If you enjoyed this conversation, please rate and review us so more people can find us. And make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. And join in the conversation right now on our Discord server at embody.org.au slash discord. Embody is a national community of young people passionate about mission locally, nationally, and globally. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at EmbodyAU and visit our website at embody.org.au. All the links are in the show notes. Embody is part of the Global Mission Partners family. We respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands and waters of Australia and pay respects to elders past, present, and emerging. We recognize their continuing connections to land, water, and culture. Music in the show is by Josh Woodman. We'll catch you next time, and thanks for listening to Mission Unplugged.